The scripture is from the the fifth chapter of James, beginning with the 13th verse. Uh, James writing to the 12 tribes of the, of the diaspora, uh, 12 biblical number for wholeness, uh, 12 tribes, the whole people of God. And so what that means is that this is for all of the people of God. This is for all of us. James writes, Are any among you suffering? They should pray. Are any cheerful? They should sing songs of praise. Are any among you sick? They should call for the elders of the church and have them pray over them, anointing them with oil in the name of the Lord. The prayer of faith will save the sick, and the Lord will raise them up. And any who ha- anyone who has committed sins will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The prayer of the righteous is powerful and effective. Elijah was a human being like us, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain, and for three years and six months it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth yielded the harvest. My brothers and sisters, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and is brought back by another, you should know that whoever brings back a sinner from wandering will save the sinner's soul from death, and will cover a multitude of sins. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. I was very early in my ministry, just in the first or second year. And I was serving a four-point charge in the United Methodist Church. Now, some of you may not know what that is, a four-point charge. But it is one pastor shared by four churches who live in harmony with each other. That's what it was. So two of the churches in this very rural area were Prospect United Methodist Church and New Home United Methodist Church. They were almost in sight of each other, and they had separated after the Civil War. One was a southern church. One was a northern church. People would tell you that. One was a Democrat church. One was a Republican church. People would tell you that, too. And yes, one was literally the new home of the other one. So friends, we have been separated before. Unfortunately, it's just kind of in our DNA. And I was sent to be the shepherd of the saints in both of these houses of worship. I would quickly discover that they had a great deal to teach me. I would soon find myself taking a class that was never in our curriculum when we were at Duke. 
although it would be hard to imagine the Gospels or even the New Testament apart from what they were going to ask me to do. Now, on Sunday mornings, I was usually the first person to arrive at the church. And so that morning, I drove into the parking lot at New Home. I needed the time to get things ready. And that morning, a car was already in the parking lot, which was very unusual. And I could see that a man was seated in the car. It was early, I thought. What's he doing here? But I went inside and got prepared, and I met the people who streamed in, the ushers, the organist. People came in, and they sat down in the pews, kind of one by one and two by two. And I noticed the man in the car came in and sat down in a pew. Sort of to the side. I realized that I had met him before. His name was Marvin. And I would see Marvin from time to time at the fish camp, which was one of the two restaurants in the town. Well, the congregation gathered, the organist began, the chimes of the hour rang. And I could begin to hear something. I could begin to hear people whispering to each other. There's Marvin. Marvin is here. Look, Marvin. I mean, I could literally hear it from where I was at the front of the sanctuary. And I know Marvin could hear people saying his name. Well, the service ended. Services do come to an end, amen? Uh, The service ended, and we shook hands. Marvin, as he was leaving the service, and I asked him if I could call him that night. He said yes. Now, I was very new in ministry, but even I knew no one shows up that early in the morning for worship for no reason. So that evening I called him. And we arranged that I would visit with him and his wife the next evening. So the next evening I went to their house. I knocked on the door. He welcomed me. We sat down. After some small talk, he said... I was listening to a preacher on the radio, and I thought to myself, this cannot be a good thing. (laughs) He said, I was listening to a preacher on the radio, and the preacher said, if anyone is is sick, if anyone is sick, call the elders of the church, and they will pray for you, and you will be anointed with oil. Then he looked at me and asked, Are you the kind of preacher who anoints people with oil? And then more quietly he asked, Would you do that for me? He went on to say that he was sick. 
And then we moved on to some other kind of small talk. Maybe we needed to lower the intensity of this, two guys talking to each other. And then I prayed for him, and I asked him if I could come back the next night. And Marvin said, that would be fine. So the next morning I woke up, and I called a couple of older ministers just to ask them if this was something they had ever done. I think I was around 25 years old. I can't remember who I called exactly, but they both said, yes, you can do this. And so I got out my Bible and read James 5. And I read it a second time. And I read it a third time. The passage Marvin had heard on the radio. And I began to imagine being there with Marvin. Early that afternoon, I called our church's lay leader, whose name was Dale. And I asked Dale if he would go with me that night to see Marvin. I explained to him what we were going to be doing. And I know Dale thought, this is not what you told me being a lay leader would be about. But we did go together. We got there that evening. We made some small talk. And then I sensed this was the moment. I asked if I could read the scripture and anoint Marvin. He was ready. So I read the scripture, James 5, 13 through 20. I gave us some time for silence. And then I asked Marvin if there was anything that he wanted to confess. Again, I gave us some time for silence. And then Marvin broke the silence. Now, he was a big man. He worked in construction. And I have never heard a groan as loud from any person as Marvin that night. He began to cry loudly, and then he began to confess. His wife was there, Dale was there, I was there. He confessed to his wife that about his lack of love for her. He confessed about his son with whom he was estranged, his adult son who was also in construction. They had once worked together, and now they were competitors. He confessed some other things. It just all came out. And then it was quiet. I assured Marvin that 
we were all sinners, Romans 3, 23. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And then we, after a minute, we stood up. And I moved toward Marvin and I touched the oil and I touched his forehead and made the sign of the cross. And I announced to Marvin that he had been healed in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. After a few minutes, we walked out into the night. Dale and I rode back in my car to the parsonage. And we didn't say a single word to each other. We had been on holy ground. Are any among you suffering? They should pray. Are any among you sick? They should call for the elders of the church. I was the closest thing to that that Marvin could figure out. And have them pray over them, anointing them with oil in the name of the Lord. The prayer of faith will save the sick and the Lord will raise them up. And any who has committed sins will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. So that you may be healed. Early last fall, I was um, asked to preach in a church's preaching mission. As the date approached, the staff parish chair of that church asked if I could meet with their committee one day for lunch while I was there. There had been some conflict in this church. You could call it a high steeple church. I know you don't know what conflict in a church is, but if you have friends in other churches, you can ask them. Later today, you'd never know that here. But some churches have conflict. And they had had some conflict in the church, and the pastor was going to be transitioning. This was already the mutual agreement. And so over lunch, the committee shared with me some data about the church, some of their present challenges. And then the very articulate chair said... At the conclusion of their presentation, Bishop, we need a pastor who will restore this church to its former glory. So I allowed for a brief silence. I'd been listening. And then I responded. I said, you know, I want to honor the work that went into all of this. I want to thank you for being a leader in this church. And I want to lay alongside your presentation a question. So here's the question. 
Is it possible, I just want to ask you, is it possible, I'm not saying it is, but is it possible that what you're experiencing right now in the church, what you see as the challenge, is it possible that it has nothing to do with your pastor? I'm not saying that's true, I'm just saying, is it possible? Could it be something else? I'm not saying it is something else. I'm just wondering, could it be something else? And if it was, what could that be? And again, there was some silence. And then a man started to talk, and he had not talked during the whole meeting. He said, I know what it is. He said, we are divided. We're divided. He said, I can't remember a time in my life when we were more divided. He said, it's everywhere. It's in the family. It's in the neighborhood. It's in the, the businesses in this community. It's in my Sunday school class. It's in our nation. It's in our church. It's in the denomination. He said, That's what it is. We share a common need for healing. Interestingly, in the Greek of this passage, so that you may be healed, it's everything else about James 5, 13 to 20 is about an individual, but... You may be healed. The you is plural. It is so y'all may be healed. And I'm from the deep south. Although they tell me I'm losing my accent. We share a common need for healing. Early in the summer, this summer, I suffered a fall. I was walking in a grocery store, normal pace, and I stepped in some water. And immediately I hit the floor. I fractured my shoulder, broke my humerus, hit my head, had a lower back injury. It was painful. You could even say it was traumatic. And this set me on a journey the next few weeks with x-ray technicians and nurses and physical therapists and physician's assistants and a surgeon. I was often in pain. And I would find myself saying a very simple prayer to God on many of these days. I would say, let the next person I meet be a healing person. Let the next person I meet be a healing person. If you are living in this world right now, and if we are 
conscious or awake, we are in touch with a great deal of pain. Amen? And our calling, as the people James wrote this letter to, is to be healing persons, is to be the answer to that prayer for someone. So Marvin and his wife began to come to church on a regular basis. People began to see them as kind of like family and not so much like an odd curiosity. And I would often see Marvin and his son together eating lunch at the fish camp. You could even say they experienced some kind of reconciliation. Marvin's cancer progressed. And then a few months later, Marvin went into hospice. The story I've told you this morning, he asked me to tell at his memorial service. The ultimate healing is in the resurrection. We read this in the letter of James. The prayer of faith will save the sick and the Lord will raise them up. Many of us have prayed for the healing of people we love. And they're no longer with us in the body. We believe the ultimate healing is in the resurrection. I return again and again to that vision of Revelation 21 around the throne. God himself will be with them. He will wipe away every tear from their eye. Death will be no more. Mourning and crying and pain will be no more. For the one seated upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. Not everything that's broken in this life will be made whole in this life. The ultimate healing is in the resurrection. We share a need for healing. We live in a season of hurricanes and polarization and inequalities and misinformation. And we are quick to judge one another. I will confess my sin. And we are prone to label one another. And we become comfortable in our silos, maybe even adjusted to living in our pain. What Marvin taught me was that it takes courage, takes courage to say, um, I want to be healed. And so this morning we pray for healing persons.
to come across our paths. And perhaps in vulnerability for the healing that we ourselves need. Let us pray. We offer to you, O Lord, all of the brokenness in our lives, remembering that you really came to this earth to do three things. You were a preacher and a teacher and a healer. So today in our lives, in our families, in our churches, in our cities, in our nation, in our denomination, in our world, come Lord Jesus and heal us. Amen. Now receive this benediction. Go now in peace to serve God and your neighbor in all that you do. Bear witness to the love of God in this world so that those to whom love is a stranger will find in you generous friends. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with us now and forever. Amen.